0: This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Antonio Garcia.
1: And I'm Lily Lukau. Tonight, we focus on COVID-19. As we see cases increase in New Mexico, we want to offer some education on protection and support.
0: We talk with Joanne Melcher, president and CEO of New Mexico Community Foundation. She discusses her long-time commitment to New Mexico and the new Native American Relief Fund that she and others in philanthropy have established.
1: And we sit down with Enrique Cardiel, longtime community organizer and executive director of the Bernalillo County Community Health Council. Enrique is here to discuss the new hashtag ImaskUp campaign.
0: We take a few minutes to share important community events with you.
1: And tonight's special selection of music on COVID-19 and quarantine is brought to you by some of our newest Media Justice apprentices.
0: We start our night with the song, Take Yourself Home by Troy Sivan. It talks about the internal dialogue of being scared of getting sick, but still wanting to enjoy every moment and be with others. It was chosen by GJ apprentice Gianna Ramirez. Ooh. Is right there where you lost it when you took the bed. Counting all the losses that you can't collect. Got everything and nothing in my life. I'm tired of sitting screaming. Joanne Melcher is the president and CEO of New Mexico Community Foundation. She's a citizen of Santo Domingo Pueblo and has extensive experience working with New Mexico communities as well as Native communities from across the country and Latin America.
1: GJ apprentice Asia Lujan speaks with Joanne Melcher about her own background and the Native American Relief Fund, which was created to support Indigenous communities during the COVID-19 crisis.
2: This is Asia Lujan with Generation Justice and I'm speaking with Joanne Melcher, president and CEO of the New Mexico Community Foundation. Joanne, welcome to Generation Justice. Please tell us more about yourself.
3: My name is Joanne Melcher and I am from uh, San Domingo Pueblo. I lived here all my life. I live here with my grandma and my sister and my nephews and um, I am, as you mentioned, the president and CEO of the New Mexico Foundation. Great. Will you
2: expand a little and tell us about your work with indigenous communities?
3: The work that we do at New Mexico Foundation really is um, working with communities statewide. We work in rural and um, Native communities, and we are supporting efforts that promote uh, well-being of all populations, and our work varies uh, at times, and we do have uh, some scholarships that we administer. We also have donor-advised funds. We also help manage fiscal sponsorship. We are managing over 80 uh, fiscal sponsorships for organizations who do not have a 501c3 status uh, at the moment but they are trying to uh, establish themselves as 501c3 organizations and a lot of the work that we do uh, help uh, in that respect uh, we manage the invoicing we manage the financial management of all of those organizations
2: that's wonderful to hear and can you talk to us about indigenous female leadership and philanthropy
3: I believe that being an indigenous woman leading in philanthropy is so important, especially in these times. Um, There are so many opportunities that I believe that our tribes and nations need support with, not because we're in need. I believe that our nations are so uh, strong and, you know, our children are talented. We have, um, wonderful culture and language that we are proud of. And for, for being a leader in philanthropy, um, there's much a lot of work to be done to help people understand and become aware of who we are as people. It's not based on you know a poor little native child or anything like that or poor communities. Um, I think we need to really amplify the, the strength and um, the talents that our young people and females and males have in our communities.
2: Beautiful. Um, what inspires you to serve Native communities and understand the areas where there is need?
3: I guess as a Native woman growing up in our, in our Pueblo, I am just so proud of who we are, and I feel like we need to maintain our culture, we need to maintain our language, and in whatever way that I can support our young people, children, families, um, I want to do that, because everybody deserves the opportunity for a, a good life, and good health, and all of the You know, all of the wonderful things that, you know, that life has to offer. So my commitment is try to help um, in any way that I can all of, you know, all of our people. Thank you for sharing that. And can
2: you tell us more about the Native American Relief Fund and how does it work?
3: The Native American Relief Fund was established in April uh, of this year in 2020 because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the horrible impact that it immediately had on our tribes and our families and our communities. And there was a core group of partners that came together, uh, Santa Fe Community Foundation, Representative Melanie Stansbury, the Indian Affairs Department and um, others who really wanted to address the the critical needs uh, during that period and so there was a goal that was set to raise three million dollars to address the urgent needs of food water and supplies that you know that was really critical at the time and so we began fundraising immediately and several partners um, came to us right away, um, one being KOAT-TV, their project community efforts. They featured us on KOAT and the fundraising just took off from there. And uh, shortly thereafter, we also partnered with Sandia Labs and also United Way of Central New Mexico. It's just been amazing to see how many foundations and people, individuals have come together to to raise money or to bring funding to to the work that we're doing. And um, during that period, I was receiving calls daily. uh, I would say even nonstop, you know, for uh, I would say from April to May um just people who wanna, who wanted to help and people who needed help. And so just hearing from our community members uh, from our Native communities, the struggles they were facing, um, just needing food, water, supplies, really in, inspired me to continue to raise monies for, for the fund. And part of that was to establish the Native American, really fun advisory committee. And the people that I asked to join the committee are also um, native people and philanthropy. Elvin Warren from the Llano Foundation, Natasha Hale from Kellogg Foundation, Dr. Amanda Montoyo from the Chimisa Foundation, Joni Romero from Santa Fe Community Foundation, and Rebecca Ray from uh, UNM Health Sciences Center we all came together and really wanted to make sure that we would, that we get the funding out to our communities and families immediately. And the fundraising just took off and um, we were really happy to initially provide uh, funding to all 23 tribes in New Mexico. And we did not want to select anyone or we did not want to, um, Try to figure out how much to give to each tribe, but we did it in equal dis- distributions of, um, of funding to each tribe um, because we you know we knew that the need was great for for everybody at that time and then the second round of funding um, came when we created an, um, an application process, and so we received about fifty applications from nonprofits and also um, from tribes. Um, The tribes were eligible to reapply again. And um, so a lot of those tribes came back, um, came back in for a second request. And um, so we were able to to do that second round of distribution. And I think what was amazing was just to hear people from everywhere come come together. Um, We had contributions from throughout the United States. We had contributions uh, concerned about what they were hearing um, or the impact of the pandemic on our tribes and families. So um, we are continuing to fundraise. We are trying to uh, distribute additional funding uh, within the next month or so. What we're also, what the advisory committee is also looking at is um, recovery and long-term impact. So we are hoping to raise more monies in the next, Few months. So we did not reach our 3 million goal. We um, raised about 1.5 million, I believe.
2: That's amazing. And the work you're talking about sounds beautiful that it's helping all of these tribes. How can tribes and pueblos apply to access this support?
3: So, um, what we did the first time around was um, because of the K O A T um, promotions, people were seeing it on on TV, and a lot of uh, tribes had heard about it. So they immediately contacted me at the foundation. So any of the tribes can still do that; they can reach me at the foundation. We were we would also um, for the second time around we also posted the the grant application on our website. So we are not sure what we're going to do for round three, whether it would be an application process or whether we, we would do another, um, just uh, equal distribution again. So it's something that we're discussing right now.
2: And are urban indigenous people and organizations able to apply?
3: Yes, yes, they can apply. Um, individuals need to, um, Contact um, a nonprofit organization that is providing services to Native communities, and so um, then the nonprofits are are um, the ones that would be eligible to uh, for for the funding. Some of the earlier calls that I received uh, were from individuals, from families, and so I had informed them to go through a nonprofit, either in Albuquerque or Santa Fe. Um, to be able to apply, you know, for the funding. Um, so, how do you think your philanthropy has
2: helped Indigenous communities in New Mexico?
3: Wow, that's a great question. I really believe that the timing of my being hired as the president and CEO of New Mexico Foundation was very timely, and for whatever reason, um, when this pandemic hit, I immediately embraced um, the fact that I needed to do something to help our communities. So I think because of my values and beliefs in who I am and how I was raised here in our Pueblo, I feel like that was, that was something I was Um, meant to do and there's been so many different interactions that I've had with people that confirm that fact
4: and
3: I I think it's it's that um, building relationships building partnerships and just the value of working together having respect for for our communities for our people and having having compassion for everyone. Just really inspired me and inspires me today to continue to do the work that I've been doing. I do not do the work alone. I have the Native American Relief Fund Advisory Committee and also I have a wonderful staff who have stepped up just to make sure that all of the processes are in place to ensure that the tribes get their funding and nonprofits get their funding. So. It's, it's just been um, nonstop since the pandemic started, since we started fundraising, but it's all been worth it.
2: Thank you very much for sharing that. How did your work serving young people influence your work as a CEO of a foundation?
3: I have worked with youth for a long time uh, throughout my career. Um, I've worked with youth from early childhood all the way through college age students and I feel like just seeing the impact of the work that the organizations that I was with um, have on young people just really inspired me to to do more and throughout those organizations I learned so much and I am committed and I have um, and my passion is to always help our young people to have better opportunities to to get the best out of life.
2: Yes, thank you. And why do you believe it's important to invest in young people in New Mexico?
3: I believe that it's important to invest in young people because we're not, as adults, we don't always have the right answers. I feel like we can provide guidance, we we can provide support but there's different strengths and talents that young people bring to, to everything. And I'm always amazed at, you know, just interacting with young people, asking them questions and they bring up things that, um, you know, that I may not have ever, you know, thought of. So I think it's important to hear young people's voices and to support, their growth and, um, development in whatever areas that they're interested in.
2: And how can our listeners support the Native American Relief Fund?
3: Your listeners can contact our New Mexico Foundation. We, um, we have our website. Uh, they can, uh, make their donations online or they can also send a check to our office and, um, our address is on our website, but it's uh, New Mexico Foundation, h Medico, Santa Fe, New Mexico, 87505. And even if they aren't um, able to contribute, you know, they can always spread the, the word to their contacts, to families, to friends, um, because we are still doing our fundraising and we are grateful for all donations of whatever amount people are able to give. We even had um, an elderly person sent a check and he had sent $25 and he wrote a note and he says, this is all I can afford, but I hope it makes an impact. And I really believe that any amount makes an impact. And if everybody contributes whatever that they can, it always builds up and um it's just been incredible to see how much we've been able to raise. So, so we accept all levels of contributions and we are grateful.
2: Thank you. And Joanne, is there anything else you would like to add?
3: I just really want to let people know that we all should work together to come together to be able to support one another during this Uh, challenging and difficult time. I know that people are going through many different challenges and um, we just need to support one another and continue to show each other love and respect. And I think that is the only way that we can make it through this time.
2: Thank you so much, Joanne, for joining us today and elaborating on all of the ways that you and your foundation help indigenous communities and tribes in New Mexico. It is meaningful work and it is wonderful to hear. Thank you, Aja. For Generation Justice,
1: I'm Aja Lujan. Thank you so much, Joanne. Your work as an indigenous woman leader in philanthropy is so important and inspiring because your particular perspective is so needed and powerful in aiding nonprofits in New Mexico. Collaborating with others to create the Native American Relief Fund expresses your commitment to uplifting the indigenous communities of New Mexico and addressing the disproportionate impact COVID-19 has on our Pueblo and tribal family.
0: We'd also like to give gratitude to you, your organization, and all of the other foundations involved in these efforts for your continued support of our communities and for sharing that story in your time sitting with us here at GJ. As an indigenous youth, your story and continued efforts give me hope in this incredibly difficult time, especially for our nations across Indian country.
1: Our next song is Stand By You by Rachel Platten. GJ apprentice Marumita Santanam chose this song for its message of supporting and helping one another and quote, even during the worst moments in life, you will always have someone to stand with you and support you. is the executive director of the Bernalillo County Community Health Council. He has also been a public health worker for the last 18 years. Enrique has also been a member of La Raza Unida since 1992 and been a volunteer organizer with the group since 1993.
0: As a long-time public health expert, Enrique is in the perfect place to be leading the Bernalillo County Health Council in this critical moment. He's here to talk with GJ member Riazala Alikozai, about the hashtag iMaskUp campaign.
5: This is Riazala Alikozai with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Enrique Cardiel, Executive Director of Bernalillo County Community Health Council. Enrique, welcome back to Generation Justice. Please share with us more about yourself.
6: Yeah, so I've been doing public health work since 2001. Before that, I worked with... High school and middle school students, trying to encourage them to go to the university, and I also worked with uh, behaviorally challenged students, some with and some without diagnoses. And I play music, I do rope art, I do leather art, uh, sometimes poetry, and I've always gardened some, but this year I've been able to garden a whole lot more, and so that's really been important uh, at this time and i think yeah being a parent and a partner and a grandparent uh, is important and been an activist for a long time was uh, an organizer for la razonida party still a member and i've done a lot of work with uh, different movements and organizations uh, providing solidarity and trying to show up and and be supportive
5: could you please tell us about the mission of the Bernalillo County uh, Community Health Council?
6: Yes, the Bernalillo County Community Health Council really is about trying to create an environment where everybody has the opportunity to be healthy. We know there are a lot of barriers. It's different for people based on their gender, their race, their class. Um, and it's better to say the racial category, right? There's really only one race, human race, but we've been taught to See ourselves as different races. And the reality is, there's racism that impacts our health and impacts our ability to be healthy, but it's not our race. So we look for the opportunities to help everybody be healthy, regardless of where they fit in our social structures.
5: That is nice. Could you talk about the
6: I Mask Up campaign and what is the message? Yes, the I Mask Up campaign actually started a friend. Uh, Andrea Serrano, who's a organizer here in Albuquerque, saw me post something about trying to provide positive reinforcement for folks wearing masks and not to focus on shaming people into wearing masks. And she said, what if we use the hashtag like iMaskUp and then have people explain why they, they wear a mask? And so I tested that out on Instagram just took a selfie with my mask on and my mask up for public health and posted it and it got a fairly good response so I started trying to figure out things from the health council's capacity and what we could do and uh, really quickly generation justice offered to be a collaborating partner on that so initially it was like myself and a few friends posted pictures and generation justice posted pictures and I was able to pull together some resources through some funding we have with the city of Albuquerque to have some photos and videos taken. And those are starting to be uh, uploaded now to the Penelope County Community Health Council Facebook page and Instagram. And so those we'll we'll have a couple of week for a while. And when we get to the end, we'll just start at the beginning and we share those. Because this pandemic will probably be going on for much longer than we want to think about. But really the idea is how do we make wearing a mask not a bad thing? Some people see it as an imposition, some people just are not comfortable with it because it's not part of US culture to wear a mask when you're ill or maybe ill. And so not only normalizing it, but talking about why are people wearing masks and coming from a place of love or compassion, right? I wear a mask for my children or I wear a mask for my elders. Uh, I mask up for you know, frontline workers. And I think that really gives a different feel to it than just like be scared and wear a mask kind of messaging that some some people have put out. Right? We're saying well, wear a mask because it, it shows that you care. It's a way you can care for your loved ones. We don't have much control at this point with a pandemic going on. And so it's one way that we have some control over what we can do to help others be safe.
5: Thanks so much. Uh, What are some of the
6: misconceptions about masks that you have noticed so far? I think some of the misconceptions around masks are that they're dangerous. I think if you're wearing a cloth mask, I don't know how you could wear that in a way that would be dangerous, but I'm sure there is a way. You'd probably have to work really hard at it. But unless you have some respiratory issue, it's fairly safe. There are people who can't wear masks because it gives them anxiety. There are folks with some respiratory issues that cannot wear masks. And I think, you know, we need to recognize that that's a a real thing. There's two more. One is that masks somehow are against your freedom of speech. You're still able to speak and gather and congregate and demonstrate with a mask on. It's asking you to change a small behavior, but it's not keeping you from speaking out. The other misconception about masks is that if you wear a mask, you're completely safe. And I think that's also not true. Masks are one of many things we can do to reduce our odds of getting COVID or SARS-2, but it's not a magic bullet. And right? it's not something that's by itself will save you. Uh, from the public health perspective, why is it
5: still important to wear masks or PPE
6: even as our state begins to reopen? That's a great question. I think it's more important that we wear masks now that we're reopening than when people were more locked down. Um, and that's not even the right term. When we were staying at home, right? very few of us know what it's like to actually be locked down. And so I think we overuse that term. But I think it's important to wear masks now that we're reopening because we have more contact with people and everybody else has more contact with people. So our ability to pass on a virus increases with every contact we have. And if every one of those contacts is having more contacts, it creates the larger chances that you're gonna run across somebody with the virus. It's like the education around safer sex. There's very little that counts as safe sex but there's a lot of things that count as safer sex. Right. So staying at home is being safe. Once you're interacting with people, the best you can do is get safer. And so masks are an important part of that. Because if you have something and you cough or as you talk, you're not spreading the virus as much as you would if you were not wearing a mask. But you also have to do the other things. You have to cough into your elbow make sure you wash your hands or sanitize your hands a lot try to stay six feet away from other folks that you don't already spend time with in your household stay home if you're sick so i think all of those things together are what make us safer right any one of those by themselves is not enough and all of them together are not a hundred percent but they improve our odds of staying safe and keeping other people safe have you noticed
5: any changes in people's behavior regarding PPE since New Mexico has begun to reopen?
6: I think so. I remember in February wearing a mask to a meeting because I had a cough. I was, felt fairly sure that it was just an allergy. But I had set the guidelines in our office that if you have a cough, you know, wear a mask. And so people were very nervous about being in a room with me while I was wearing a mask you know, in February. And as time has gone, things have changed. Masks became normal for a while to some degree. Now masks are normal for a lot of folks, and there's some folks who are anti-mask. But I think people are becoming a little more comfortable wearing masks in general. I think as we reopen, people feel like things are kind of over, which I think is not the way to understand opening up. I think opening up is to realize that our hospitals are in a place where they can take more patients, right? So it's not time to drop your guard, just means that if you do get sick, there should be space for you in the hospital. People have also gotten over comfortable with masks where people are not wearing them properly, not covering their nose or not even covering their mouth, but they have their mask, right? They feel good that they have their mask. it just changes over time, right? People are tired of the idea of having to wear a mask and the idea of having to stay at home. Um, But we're not in a place where we can relax in those situations, right? Right? For example, in the last week, the numbers in Bernalillo County have gone up uh, considerably. There isn't much in the news about how full our ICU units are. The news probably could cover that more from what I hear from folks, it's more full than what we would think they are. So I think, yeah, masks, people go range from being very proud. People have looked for beautiful masks that share their personality. You know, and again, there are folks who are against masks uh, for political reasons. Uh, and, you know, it's not a political thing. It's, it's really how do we keep each other safe? And, No amount of me repeating that's gonna change somebody's mind, but I think the more of us that can wear a mask, uh, the better. If we can get to 80% of us wearing masks, we really reduce the odds of this continuing to spike and grow, but we have to do it. And we have to do it in awkward situations like with our families that we may not be living with, right? our extended family that lives somewhere else, we should still be wearing masks when we're around them just to keep them safe, if nothing else.
7: Yeah.
5: Um, Speaking of um, the narrative around masks, here at Gigi, we have noticed mainstream media and government narrative that young people don't care about the pandemic. What are
6: your thoughts about that? I think it's easy to scapegoat people. I think saying young people don't care is probably far from accurate. Young people care about a lot of things. If you look... Uh, there's young people leading around trying to make masks more acceptable. There's people, young people leading around trying to make sure we're following public health practices. So I think young people are leading in a positive direction. If you're school age, right, and this includes all the way up to college, and you're used to living a life where you're around hundreds of people in one day, and suddenly you're uh, doing a stay-at-home order, I think that's stressful and I think that's hard. And so not giving good and clear instruction on how we should behave when things are starting to reopen uh, leads us to kind of overdoing it once we have the opportunity to go out. And I think that's behavior you can see uh, in elders as well as young people. The original narrative that this is a disease that does not impact young people and only kills elders and those kind of things. I think that led to a lot of misconceptions. And so I think young people may be operating with those messages, but I don't think that means they don't care. And I don't think that means, you know, they're necessarily selfish. I think it means we, as a country, gave bad information. I think people are still operating on that. And we all, need to take responsibility to kind of correct that and clear a lot of things up. There's still a lot of things people have misunderstandings about, and a lot of it has to do with mixed messages from federal and state levels not always being on the same page, and sometimes even the federal level changing from day to day. Thanks so much for um, for sharing your thoughts and wisdom with us. How can
5: the community get involved with the up campaign or find more information about PPE?
6: As far as finding more information on PBE, the Department of Health should be there and providing that. At some level, the schools should be, if school does reopen. City and county governments should also be helping out, sharing that information. As far as how to get involved with the Imask up campaign, take a selfie or get someone, hopefully someone with a mask to take a picture of you and your mask and upload that to your social media and use the hashtag iMaskUp and write out your phrase. I mask up for my children. I mask up for my elders. I mask up for you. I mask up for community. And share that. If you're on Instagram or Facebook, you can tag the Health Council. It, on Facebook, it's Bernalillo County Community Health Council, kind of a long name. On Instagram, it's bcchcnm. You could also tag Generation Justice on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That way we know and we will ask you if we can go ahead and reshare those things to to our sites so that we can spread the word and build some momentum. And like I said, if we can get eighty percent of people to wear a mask and you know, the hand washing and, and cough and staying at home when you feel a little bit sick, all of those things together will make a difference and get us out of this sooner so that we can get to the things we wanted to do this summer that we're not able to do. Uh, Our goal has to be now, how close to COVID free can we be as a state or a city or a county by next summer? Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, I think we've come to hear the term public health in the news more in the last five, six months than we've heard probably in the last five or six years. And so I think looking at how, Do we support public health in our communities? On a community level, as far as all of us individually, but also on the levels of county and city and state governments, right? State public health has been getting funding cut for many years, and so now there's an attempt to ramp up to deal with what we're going through. We're the largest city in the U.S. without a a local city or county health department. You know, the health council used to be part of the state and then part of county government, it's now a nonprofit. So what are we really doing to build up our public health infrastructure so that we could deal with situations like this? Sadly, we know while we may not have a global pandemic, again, anytime super soon, we do know there's gonna be epidemics locally, you know, nationally within, our lifetimes, so to have the infrastructure there to prevent those things. And when those things aren't happening, hopefully you have a public health system that's helping to prevent other things like heart disease and suicide and uh, domestic violence and you know gender-related violence and those kinds of things. Mr. Enrique,
5: thank you so much for taking your valuable time to speak with us. It's tough times, uh, but it's important for us to keep ourselves and family safe. Thank you so much. Thank you all for having me on.
0: I really appreciate partnering with Generation Justice. Enrique, thank you for continuing to promote positive avenues for us to maintain our well-beings mentally, emotionally, and physically. And thank you for reminding us that it doesn't stop at wearing a mask, but there's so much we should be doing to protect ourselves and others. We really admire your dedication to community, love, and compassion, and above all, unity. We need to be reminded that wearing a mask should not be an obligation or chore, but something we should be happy to do and want to do for our loved ones and communities.
1: Thank you so much Enrique for providing opportunities for everyone in our community to stay healthy. I appreciate the point you made that caring for others is not political. Thank you for expressing the great importance of public health. It has been too long ignored and underfunded. I loved the connection you made that with greater public health funding and programs, many other issues in our community can be relieved. I can feel your care and commitment to our community's health and well-being.
0: Our next song is Level of Concern by 21 Pilots, chosen by GJ apprentice Arturo Archuleta. It talks about some of the problems and concerns some of us have during this pandemic. It's an upbeat and rhythmic song that everyone could use right now.
7: concern that you
1: We have our wonderful calendar host, Isabel and Arturo, who will let us know what is going on in our community.
4: Thanks, Lily. It's time for our community calendar. Tonight we have important information and resources to help our community through COVID-19.
7: Let's start with the reminder that the UNMH Respiratory Care Center is a walk-in COVID-19 testing site to triage and test people whether or not they have symptoms.
4: It is located directly outside of the UNM Hospital's main entrance. There's a large white tent where the testing occurs, and this site operates 24-7.
7: Thanks to all of the staff who have volunteered because of the great need for testing, especially with the recent increase of COVID-19 cases in our state.
4: If you would like to learn more about the UNMH Respiratory Care Center, call 505-272-2111. Again, that's 505 505- 272-2111.
7: Next is the Pueblo Relief Fund, which gives support to New Mexico's Pueblo nations during COVID-19. The fund is organized by the All-Pueblo Council of Governors and the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center.
4: Indigenous communities are disproportionately affected by COVID-19, and by providing PPE, disinfecting supplies, and food distribution to the Pueblos, you can help make a safer and healthier environment.
7: If you would like to donate or learn more, you can visit PuebloReliefFund.org. Again, that's PuebloReliefFund.org.
4: Next, the Odgin Project is distributing wellness and care packages to women and femmes 18 and older in Espanola and surrounding areas. This project is organized by Tewa Women United. If you would like to help, you can email michelle at TewaWomenUnited.org.
7: During COVID-19, many people have lost jobs and income, so... The City of Albuquerque's Health and Social Service Centers are collecting donations to help people unable to pay for rent.
4: If you would like to help, checks to be made payable to FCS Health and Social Services. That's FCS Health and Social Services.
7: For more information, contact East Central Health and Social Service Center at 505 767 5700. They are located at 7525. Zuni Southeast in Albuquerque.
4: Next, First Nations Community Health Source provides COVID testing every week for anyone in the community.
7: Y'all can make an appointment with First Nations every Tuesday or Thursday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. or every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m.
4: First Nations is located at 5608 Zuni Road Southeast in Albuquerque. For appointments and information, you can call 505-366-3257.
7: Again, that's 505-366-3257. You do not need to have symptoms or insurance to receive this testing, but appointments are required.
4: Thank you for joining us tonight on our community calendar. Now, here is One Love by Bob Marley. This song was chosen by GJ apprentice Adiana Cordova.
7: She says, it paints a picture of a community coming together to form one person with one heart. During times where people are separated and with negative mindsets, a message of love is something to raise the community spirits.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community health education. We'd like to thank our guests, Joanne Melcher and Enrique Cardiel.
1: Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Catery Suni, Paula Ramirez, and Roberta Rael. And thank you to our interviewers, Asia Liljan and Riazla El Our calendar hosts, Arturo Archuleta and Isabel Becerra.
0: We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners.
1: Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts.
0: We are also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify.
1: Generation Justice is funded by the WK Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Con Alma Health Foundation and, of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate.
0: Our music tonight was chosen by GJ Apprentices Gianna Ramirez, Madumita and Sanandita Santanam, Arturo Achuleta, and Adiana Cordova. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by POD. Our last songs of the night are Warrior in Peace by Ar Rahman, and Quiéreme Mientras Se Pueda by Manuel Turizo. I am Antonio Garcia.
1: And I'm Lily Lukau. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock.
0: We mask up for you, New Mexico. (muchas)
7: de ka jhoka le lena talwaron ko apni deya ra dharti ke sangal ko khushiyon rang zamal ko mientras se puede
6: 世界